0: Let's take our Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Acts chapter 12. I want to take just a few moments to talk to you a little bit about prayer tonight. Acts chapter 12, a lot of things have taken place in this first half of the book of Acts. Chapter 1, Jesus goes up. Chapter 2, His Spirit comes down. Chapter 3, His people go out. They begin to tell folks about Christ, and right away, miracles happen, and persecution follows. In chapters 3 and 4, certainly the case. Chapter 5, the Lord uh, purges His church. There were so many people growing, so many needs happening, that Barnabas started with selling his property and giving it to the apostles to be distributed to help those who were hurting so bad for that time of history. Ananias and Zephira sold some property too, but instead of being honest about it, they certainly could have given any. They could have given half the property's profit. They could have given a third or, or all of it. But They said they gave all of it, but really they didn't, and they lied to the Holy Ghost. They lied to, to the Lord Jesus and uh, God dealt with them very harshly. Chapter 6, the pressure upon the leadership became to be elevated, and and uh, they couldn't keep up with the material needs of the people, especially the widows, and there was an argument and frustration complaints from the Grecian widows, the girls that were not from around there, the Lystic widows, and they, they cried out and said, we're getting neglected. The other girls are getting more and And they realized real quickly that they needed some help, and they chose seven men of honest report, full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost. And, of course, two of the more famous ones, all their names are mentioned in chapter 6, but Philip and Stephen, two of the ones that are most notable. Stephen would die uh, in the next chapter, chapter 7, after preaching a message, and he would be a martyr, and it would cause others of of the deacons to move to other places. Philip took his wife and potentially his four daughters he had eventually have or maybe had at that time, and they went up into Samaria. And there they won people to Christ. And there was great joy in that city because of a man of God who went down to that place. By the way, the success or failure of most any church plant or work or church for God or, or classroom will rest heavily upon the man of God himself. And we need, we need more men to be leaders in your homes, leaders in our church, Leaders in your Sunday school class, people who will pray, people who will who will work, who will encourage other people. And Philip was that kind of a guy. He went there and and boy, a revival broke out. In chapter eight, he would be asked to leave that revival place of Samaria and go out into the desert, and he would reach one Ethiopian African man with the gospel of Christ and lead him to Christ, see him get baptized. He would go on his way rejoicing, and he would go through other communities of Azotus and other places. In chapter 9, the adversary of the early church, Saul of Tarshish, comes and meets Jesus, and he's no match for Jesus. He surrenders and cries uncle, if you will. And he says, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then um, he said, okay, now that I know who you are, what do you want me to do? Those are good questions. Once you find out who Jesus is to you, then you should ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember, one of the main rules of discipleship, what God wants in discipleship, he wants your will. He wants you to surrender your will to the Lord. One of the other challenges is the cost of surrendering your will and taking up your cross and denying yourself and following him. But boy, I tell you what, if there's any man in all of history that did that effectively, the Apostle Paul was an amazing He really did. He was a true disciple of Jesus Christ because he surrendered. Lord, what would you want me to do? I think one of the things about Apostle Paul that's really beautiful, he just, he, he surrendered his will to the Lord and he was not afraid of the cost. He said, I count not on my life dear to myself, but I can finish my course with joy. None of those things moved me. People didn't move me. Problems didn't move me. Pride didn't move me. He counted himself not dear to himself and he went ahead and finished his course with joy and it's just a beautiful thing at the end of his life to be able to say, i finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've, uh, I've fought a good fight. I've run what i was supposed to do. I don't know about you, I'd like to say that one day. Wouldn't you? And he wanted to say it and he could say it. But it's because he was a surrendered servant of Christ. It's because he didn't treasure his will over God's will. And it really challenges me. But in chapter 10, God begins to deal with Peter. He was the apostle to the Jewish nation, and He wanted to tell him a hard lesson, and that is that God loved the Jews, but He also loved the Gentiles. And He had, gave him gave him a real illustration, and sent him to a place called or to to a, a place called Joppa to Cornelius's house, where he won many Gentiles to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God opened his eyes. When he came back to town in chapter 11, the Jews were upset. The Jewish Judaizers were were very fired up with him. And he spent chapter 11 telling them, look, guys, it's not my decision. It's God's decision. If you don't like it, you can lump it. God has made it very clear that he loves the Gentile too. And I got to see the guy save. I saw his whole family save, get baptized. I know that God's dealing with them, and he had to defend them. During that time, also, we find that um, that Barnabas uh, is uh, encouraging the people and telling them to to grow in the Lord. He will eventually go to uh, Tarshish and and meet Paul, who probably spent at least seven years and maybe ten years in in seclusion without being uh, having a public ministry. It just reminds me that God doesn't God doesn't want us to rush to the washing machine. God is a God of timing and preparation, and all of us need to learn. You know, we, we want things yesterday. God is a God at work, and he, he looks like he hid him for almost 10 years before he brought him to Antioch, and there he would work. In chapter 13, and be sent out as a missionary. But in chapter 12, the main apostles, many of them are still in Jerusalem, and uh, God did not want them to stay there. They were the sent ones. He had many disciples, but he had 12 apostles. And they were not in Jerusalem long after this. They were sent other places. But Peter was at the time still in Jerusalem. And James and John, there were three people that he gave as the, he 12 disciples, 12 apostles, and he had three that were in the inner circle. Peter, what was the other one? James and... And James would be the first one to die as a martyr. Of course, Judas died, but he killed himself. James would be the first to die as a martyr. And they would watch him suffer. His head would be removed from his body by Herod, the great-grandfather, the one who tried to kill Jesus as an infant. The second one would be Peter. And Peter would uh, be the, the prophet, the preacher. He would be the one who would be the, the, the one who would break the the ground, if you will, to the to the uh, to the Jewish heart, and uh, then we find John. He would be the last one to to live, and he would be the one that he was a teenager probably at the time that Jesus chosen to be a disciple, and even 30 years after Paul died, John was still alive, and he didn't. He's the only disciple that we do not believe that's died as a martyr. He was boiled in oil. He was tortured. Uh, he was exiled, and if he was going to preach, they put him on an island to preach by himself. And there, he got the revelation of Jesus. But in chapter 12, we see that Herod, who is part—he's—he's he's a Jew, but he's working as a pawn for the Roman government, and he did not have much favor with the Jews. They didn't like him. But he found out that uh, one thing he had in common with the Jews—he would try to persecute believers in Jesus Christ, and so he killed James. Let's look at the passage of Scripture, and we can see this. It's going to go into a prayer meeting because of what happened. Now about that time, Herod the king, verse 1, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So they were in the... In the uh, the time of the unleavened bread and the Passover was going to be completed shortly. And when he had apprehended him arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrant, quadrants of, of soldiers, 16 soldiers, to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Just a quick thing, I'm so glad for the King James Bible, and I think Easter is the one, supposed to be in there, 28 of the twenty. Nine times that you see the, the the that particular Greek word is Passover. However, the Passover is completed, and this is a reference to the pagan holiday after after the Passover, but I think it's a pretty neat thing that God gave the the, the translators the heart to do that and the wisdom to do it. However, in verse number five, they would bring him forth. So he arrested Peter, and they've got sixteen guys. If you remember in chapter five, verse thirty three, Peter, had already broken. God had let him out of one prison cell. Remember, whenever they got him in prison, and all of a sudden, he said these same guys are over here preaching in the temple. The guys who were arrested yesterday, they're they're over there in the temple. So I think Herod knew that. So he didn't. He took in put the maximum amount of people to take care of him: 16 soldiers in all, and probably all three night watches. They had a two that were chained to him, and then they had people to watch the doors, and then they would switch off. Uh, every four hours or three hours or so, probably between 9 and noon, or 9 and midnight, midnight and 3, and 3 to 6. But somewhere in that situation, we find there's two things happening. Peter's in jail, and by the way, it'll be one of the things after this, Peter is no longer walking in Jerusalem like he was before. This will be his, he will go to other places of the world, and so will the rest of the disciples, in my opinion. I think after 12, very few of the apostles will be at home there. The other James mentioned in chapter 15 will be James, the brother of Jesus, who seems to assume the leadership of the the church of Jerusalem after James, the disciple, is killed. Let's look and see what happens in verse number five. This is our text verse tonight. Look at verse five and read it with me, would you please? Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God, Let's read it one more time a little bit slower. Can we do that? Ready? Verse number five. Ready? Peter, therefore, was kept in prison without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers there before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the light shone on the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, or put, your, put your clothes on, and bind on thy sandals, put your shoes on. And so he did. And he said unto, unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true that it was done by the angel, and thought he saw a vision. He might have been dreaming. When they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate and leadeth into the city, which opened unto them of their own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectations of the people of the Jews, of the people of the Jews, verse number um, twelve. Would you mind reading that with me, please? And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel to hearken came, named Rhoda. It's interesting. God doesn't give everyone. A name in the Bible, oftentimes a certain person, but he actually names this lady, this little servant girl. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. And she ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, thou art mad, you're a nut. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. And Peter continued knocking and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And he beckoned unto them with a hand to hold their peace and declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things to James. That's the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James, the pastor, the new pastor of the church of Jerusalem, the leader there. And the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Our Father, would you help me just for a few moments to just challenge our church family on this thought of prayer. I need to to hear the message. Lord, I feel like you have really dealt with my heart in preparation. I want to see things only you can do. And I know that prayer is that source. Would you please help us? We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As you can see, this church is going through a difficult time. If you can imagine if I were arrested as your pastor and uh, you found out that they killed me in jail, was prosecuted, and, and uh, I was dead. And uh, then they went and got Brother Eddie or Brother Dell or Brother Keith or someone else, and they began to they put them in jail with every anticipation. You can imagine it would bring a lot of unnerving to our hearts, would it not? It would probably, I'd just... Probably lose my head over it. But uh, nonetheless, it would be a very difficult time for the church. And I imagine it would be not hard to encourage the church to pray, to know that we got real problems here. Because dire situations require fervent prayer. We don't pray because we don't think we need to pray. But this this church was hurting. They'd been through quite a bit. They've watched Ananias the fires fall out and they buried them. They they had seen the, the six they had seen Stephen, their head deacon, be stoned and his precious wife a, a widow and his kids orphaned. They'd been through a lot of things that had gone through there. They had dealt with they seen the, 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 the uh, attacks of Saul of Tarsus and all those who followed him, and then they hear he gets saved and they're not really interested in joining the church. They got Peter going off to Joppa and winning Cornelius and coming back and explaining it to them and their heads are spinning with all the things. But now is a season of suffering and they pray. And verse number five just talks about a few things that they did. Now, I don't know exactly why prayer is a challenging thing. I love to talk to the Lord most of the time. But there is some distractions that come when I learn to pray. And... I don't like fasting. I like to have what I want when I want it. I like when I'm hungry, I like to feed me. If I'm thirsty, I want to drink something to drink. I'm not interested in, in afflicting my soul, the way I think, the way I feel, what I want. But that's part of the, that's part of the story. I find there's several things. You know, prayer is important because prayer is the key to a lot of things. If any man lack, let him. How many need wisdom to make decisions every day? Oh, yeah. How, how, how do you get that wisdom? Prayer is a key to getting the, the, the understanding about what I'm supposed to do in the situation. Prayer is the key to peace. The Bible says, be careful for nothing but everything by prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds to Christ Jesus. Some of us, we don't have peace today. You know it, I know it. I know it for me and you may know it for you and maybe other folks around you can tell that guy is not at peace. My dad does not have peace. My husband does not have peace. My wife does not have peace. You know where our peace is? A shortcut to peace is commitment. But another shortcut to peace is prayer. And peace is, is peace comes when when we're conquered by the Lord and we take our care and make it prayer. Jesus said, I want you to ask in my name Whatever you come to me, ask in my name. When you know it's in the will of God, ask in my name that your joy might be full. Joy is a a byproduct of prayer. Revival is a byproduct of prayer. Second Chronicles, the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. We find there's so many things that come from prayer. Provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Protection comes from prayer. To to deliver us from temptation. Blessings come from prayer. Would thou not bless me indeed? Opportunities come from prayer. Enlarge my coast. God's presence accompanies prayer. Put your hand with me. And keep me from evil, that it not grieve me. And the Lord answered the prayer of Jabez in that way. Healing is a result of prayer. The Bible says, if any be sick among you, let him call for the elders. And let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's amazing how many things that people, oh, what, uh, just things that people will do, and they won't pray. They won't they won't seek the Lord. They'll call the doctor so fast. They'll, they'll say, honey, get me an appointment. Call the doctor, let's get this, see if we can get this prescription in before they even think about prayer. But prayer is a key to healing. Prayer is a key to God's help. It's a key to power. Little prayer, little power. The Bible says when the church prayed, that great power was given to them. Boldness to witness. You know, people who have a greater capacity, I've seen this in my own life. I'm much more uh, ready to witness to people when I have prayed and spend time with the Lord. Prayer is a is a, is a is a is a, uh, is a a byproduct of prayer is being bold in, in our witness to the Lord. For the lost, he said, I want you to pray that all men would come to knowledge of the truth. Of course, if you do not believe that that every man can be saved, like the Calvinistic Calvinism changes changes uh, uh, really uh, theology into philosophy. And if you don't think everybody's supposed to get saved, you're probably not going to be praying that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. But that's what the Lord tells you to do. He said, this is well-pleasing to the Lord, that you would pray for that. I was dealing with uh, someone recently influenced by Calvinism. and It was a challenge because they, they knew they accepted the Lord, but they weren't sure they were going to, for sure, going to heaven because there's the perseverance of the saints. You've got to do your part. Well, that's dangerous. You know how much part you have in saving yourself? Well, you better put all your part onto what Jesus did. Put your faith on Him. If you're trying to, you're trying to do your part to keep yourself saved, there are some issues there, and you're going to get real squirrely real fast. But pray for the lost. Pray for laborers. One of the greatest things. And Jesus, this is 2,000 years ago, He said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. I wonder how many times you and I pray for laborers in a given week. I hope in the month of August you will join me in praying for laborers. I'm not interested in having schools just to educate and keep kids out of the public school. I think it's a great byproduct. But I'm telling you, if we can't can't have an education system to produce laborers, let somebody else do it. I want to see labors. I, reason the reason the college, I don't care how many people God will take it. We'll work as hard as we can work. We'll let folks know about the college. We'll pray earnestly. But the truth of the matter is I, I want to have a college that will produce labors. Hammond Bible Institute is going to start up here in a few weeks. I hope many of you, I think God's speaking to more people than, are listening, than picking up the phone. I think some of you, you need to get involved. You need to take a class. Some of you could pastor churches one day or you could help your pastor pastor a church. Some of you could go to the mission field and be much more effective, but you need to learn and train and get some things going. You need a camaraderie. There's some friends that you're going to meet in the Bible Institute that will help you. Some of you kick back against that. You think you got it all and you got it going on and you can do what you can do, and I think that's up to you. But I'd like to encourage you to consider getting training. Let someone teach you. Humble yourself and let's, let's learn some things. I believe it's very important to do that. Why? Because labors are the problem. But the way we get labors is through prayer. Praying the Lord of the harvest. I've seen that happen in my ministry in my short years of 23 years of being a pastor. And prior to that, 11 years of teaching school, having needs. I talked to a good man yesterday. He says, Pastor, we need two teachers terribly. And I said to him, and I meant it, I'll pray with you about that. I love to be used of God to facilitate what their need. But you know, the truth of the matter is what that man needs to do, what I need to do, what you need to do, we need help. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest. Because his, his labors are always the best ones. They meet the needs. And God is, we've seen that in the, in the short time that the Lord has let us serve together. So many of our people used to be here. I think about the people like uh, Brother Stuart Mason and Brother Dave Douglas and Brother Sam Roscoe and many other people that um, Brother Jesse Dominguez and Mark Duff and many folks, Brian Hassey, great men of God who are now somewhere else leading congregations. Filling the need of a prayer that someone else prayed, that God give us a pastor, give us a leader here, give us someone. I saw the picture the other day of, of um, Brother Malucci. Jeremy Malucci was used of the Lord greatly in our, but now he's being used of God in Oregon. and Man, the Lord is helping uh, so very much, and numbers of other people doing that. But uh, those are people are made whenever we win and disciple others, then people are trained. But it's also uh, an act of prayer. Well, the church here was in trouble. And we'll see in verse number five. Let's notice a couple things real quickly, and I think I can conclude quickly. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but what's the next word? Prayer. You know, prayer is faith. Jesus said, when when I come, will I find faith on the earth? He's talking about people willing to trust the Lord. Two things cause us to pray, helplessness and faith. Having a problem bigger than us. You say, Pastor, I haven't prayed all day. Uh... Get severe pain in your abdomen tonight and be taken to the emergency room. Guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to start praying. You will real quickly. Or you'll be calling your Sunday school teacher. You'll be calling and say, please pray, please pray. Get a phone call from, from a, an emergency room someplace, someone, your loved one. You know what you'll do real quickly? You can't just go in there and pop down, you know, 20,000 bucks, say, let's, t- let's take care of the situation. No, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Helplessness and faith causes to pray. He said, Peter was in prison, but the church prayed. And prayer is an act of faith. By the way, the Bible tells us that one guy said, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine. In this room, you're looking at a pastor who lacks faith to pray like he should. I'm probably looking at people that lack faith to pray like we should. As I said to you, it's going to be a fight. I can't even imagine what the devil's going to do in the month of August to keep us from from genuinely going to the Lord in prayer, humbling ourselves, being honest with God, beseeching heaven. I believe it's going to be unbelievable benefit, but I'll tell you it'll be a fight from the beginning. But it's faith. And the just shall live by faith. Prayer. But prayer was prayer. I want you to notice the next thing. It's not only faith. But it's, it was made, prayer was made without ceasing. It's kind of interesting, when something's made, that means effort. Would you agree with that? And I think it speaks of work. It's a work of prayer. Someone says, take time to be holy. Who wants to take the time? Who wants to put the effort in to pray? And I want to encourage you to realize, that remember, faith if prayer is faith, prayer is work. It's actually a biblical work to pray. The Bible says that Anna, in the book of Luke, she served God with prayer and fasting. This old lady served God by praying and by fasting for others. It's interesting. Prayer is a work. Let's notice what else it is. We not only know it's faith, it's work, it's prayer was made, and without what? It's the only thing in the Bible, the spiritual discipline that you are commanded to do without stopping. To continue to do it over and over again. You, you can't read your Bible without ceasing. But he said, I want you to be in an attitude of prayer. I shared this with you. Maybe uh, Charles Spurgeon was with a group of pastors and, and they asked him at this luncheon, Mr. Spurgeon, when you pray, how long do you normally pray? How, what's the length of time you normally pray? And he said, well, sir, I rarely pray more than five minutes at a time. And boy, the guy went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. He was, I mean, he was dumbfounded. Yeah, yeah probably I, I rarely pray more than five minutes. But having said that, I probably rarely go five minutes without praying. You know what that's telling us? We ought to be in a continual attitude of prayer. There are seasons where, like Jesus said to his disciples, could you not tarry with me how long? One hour. But boy, what we need to learn is not just a prayer time, but a life of prayer. The the church here, there was faith. There was work, the work of prayer. There was persistence. They just continued without ceasing. They prayed. Let's look with us the Bible says in verse number five. And it was made of the church. I have a sweet friend of mine. He's no longer a member of our church, but he was at one time. On his exit from the church, he met with me and began to tell me several things that he wasn't comfortable with. But one of the things he told me in that moment, he said, you know, you're big on corporate prayer. He said, "Uh, look, if I want to pray, I'll just pray at home. I don't need to come to church and pray. You have that prayer time. He goes, look, we don't, you're big on it. I'm not big on it, he told me. The truth of the matter is, I think God is big on corporate prayer. I think he said, who 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 prayed here? What does it say? Without ceasing, who was it that prayed? The church. It was a group. The group prayed. You'll find the book of Acts, the Bible says, when the church prayed, great boldness was given to the church, and they went out and preached the gospel. I think some of the greatest prayer is prayer done in secret. And I need to be praying by myself with my Heavenly Father. But I think also, I don't think we want to, say that corporate prayer is not a valuable thing. I think even the Lord Jesus. Remember Daniel? Whenever, I'll go with Daniel first, but Daniel, when he found out they were killing all the the wise men, including him, his head was going to roll, and the the king was going to make his his house a dunghill. Remember that? And what did he do? He went to to Hananiah and and Mishael and Azariah and said, Hey, guys, pray with me. Pray with me. He could have said, I got this. I'm going to go talk to the Father. No, he said, would you guys pray with me? Even the Lord Jesus at a very difficult season in Garden of Gethsemane. He told those three, he said, would you guys watch and pray that we enter not in temptation? The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went away. A stone's cast away, and he began to pray with great swat, drops of blood coming from his perspiration. It's just veins are popping as he's Agonizing in prayer. But on two occasions, he gets up off his knees. I've been to a place they call the Garden of Gethsemane there in the Middle East, and it's just a it, I could just see it happening. And he goes over to see, guys, are you with me? Guys, are you with me? And they're sleeping. Even the Lord Jesus longed for companions in prayer. And I think it's important. The church prayed, that everybody got together into this. I think. Some of us, we don't, we don't attend a public prayer meeting. And that's your business. I'm going to do my best to provoke you to do it. You know, the job of the pastor, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Now, I'm going to keep provoking you, not because I'm mad at you, not because we count heads. I, I've never gone and said, oh, wow, well, how many people we have here at this prayer meeting? I don't think I've ever done that in my whole life. But I do believe there's something that goes on when people pray. Matter of fact, he says, when Two or three are gathered together in my name. Who joins that prayer meeting? Jesus joins the prayer meeting. He doesn't need any more than that, but he doesn't need less than that. He can do it anytime he wants to. He said, I kind of get excited when people get together. But without ceasing, it was persistent, and it was corporate. Look at the next two thoughts real quickly. Verse number number five. He said, said, uh, But prayer was made, faith, work, without ceasing, persistence, corporate, of the church, unto who? Now, one thing I think we have to be careful about, and Pastor Wilkerson has been guilty of this, and probably anyone who prays publicly sometimes is guilty of this. Have you ever heard someone pray, and really they were talking to you and not to the Lord? I think sometimes we pray, and he said, I don't want you to pray like a hypocrite who tries to impress other people. I don't want you to pray like a heathen trying to impress God. But when we do pray, we're praying to Him. Prayer should be directed to God. And He says, when you pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I think what's important when we learn to pray that we really understand, I am not praying to the guy beside me. I'm not praying for the girl next to me. I'm not praying for the people in the auditorium. My prayer is made to who? To God. And then the last thing the Bible tells us there in verse number 5. He says for him. It was specific. They they knew what to pray for. They weren't they weren't wondering what they were gathered together to do. They knew that they that they had their assistant pastor Peter, one of their apostles, one of their main leaders was in jail. And knew that they had a, their pastor had been, had been killed and now the next one is in line is getting ready to be taken. They knew exactly what to pray for. And you know, God answered this prayer. I think when we learn to pray in faith, we go through the work, we don't stop praying. We pray together corporately. We talk to God, not to each other, and we talk specifically about a prayer. It's easy for me to say, Lord, just bless all the missionaries. And I don't think it's wrong to pray that. I think that's a general prayer. But when I feel like there's something specific, I think some of us were afraid to ask something specific because we're thinking God won't answer that prayer. But here they knew exactly who to pray for. It was Peter. You know, and then God showed up and he sent an angel. He appeared to him with a light, jabbed him in the side, said, Let's get up, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, let's go. Before long, Peter was walking out. The chains fell off and the doors are open. He's walking out, the gates are open. He thinks, Man, am I in a dream or what's going on? He realized he wasn't, and it's interesting too. He went to the place, and maybe the Holy Spirit led him there. Maybe the messenger led him there. Maybe he just knew if anybody's gonna be praying, they'll be praying over at Mary's house. I wonder if anybody ever thought they'd be pray- if they find a prayer meeting, it might be at your house. Someone might say, "You know, call brother so and so, call sister so and so." Mary, the mother of John Mark, the John Mark that quit, the John Mark that wrote the book of Mark. The John Mark, the, the the nephew of Barnabas, the rich boy that lived in Jerusalem, had a big house and the church moved over there and they all were praying together and he knocks at the, uh, at, the, at the thing. It's interesting too that Rhoda gets her name in the Bible. You know why her name's in the Bible? Because she was at a prayer meeting. There's nothing else in the Bible happening. That girl, she at least loved God enough to go to the prayer meeting. I went out and saw Peter went in. And they said, "You're a nut. Are you kidding me? We're praying for Peter." He said, "I know. That's why he's outside there. No, we're praying right now. You know." And finally, got him to go out there, and he waved him off and said, "All right. Tell him go down and tell James, tell the new pastor that I'm good. Tell the brethren we're we're okay. I got to go. They'll be looking for me in a few in a few hours, and I'm going to go to another place." And uh, he, he gives them information on what to do. I want to encourage you. To have faith to pray. Be willing to work. We're one of the most, I've been to members of a lot of churches. I've never been a member of a church that works any harder than First Baptist Church people work. We ought to work and labor in prayer. I want to work hard. I want to be a hardworking pastor for you. But I also need to labor in prayer. The church here, they made prayer. They didn't stop praying. They prayed together. They prayed to God. And they prayed specifically. And God heard their prayer. I want to encourage you to do the same in the month of August. Can we pray together?